Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Joy Rios. Joy is the founder and executive director of an organization in Virginia Beach, Virginia, called Connect with a Wish that supports young people in foster care and those aging out of foster care in that area. Good morning, Joy. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you, Lynn. How are you doing? I am also doing well. I appreciate that. You are also on the East Coast, so it's a little early for us in that it's only 830, but you know what? I think we'll be bright and bushy-tailed for our conversation then. Good way to start the day. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I really would like to first ask you, if you could, to please share a little bit about your own background and the journey that you've taken that's brought you to working with Connect-A-Wish as the executive director. Sure. So I am the founder of Connect with a Wish, and we're in about year 10. And this seed was planted actually now 24 years ago, as my daughter just turned 24 last week. So all my children are adopted. Grace was born 24 years ago. And as we were going through an open adoption process with our first adoption and with all of them, it was an unconventional way that we had heard about Grace through a friend She was placed in foster care and we heard about her and her birth mom was looking to have for open adoption and things evolved and took a sidetrack. We heard about her. Birth mom reached out to us, revoked her rights with services somehow and came to us. And in that process of the two weeks of hearing about her and finally, you know, making the connection, all I could think about that she was in foster care and I was, you know, back 26 years old, didn't know much about foster care is that this baby is sitting in a corner somewhere in a diaper and hopefully being fed and not being, you know, just terrible things and thoughts that went through my head. Fast forward to meeting her the day we received her from the foster mom that had her and just blown away by this angel walking the earth who was taking care of my daughter for the first two weeks of her life. Just couldn't believe that People did this as she took my daughter in on Thanksgiving. She was born with drugs in her system, and this foster mom brought her home along with another baby and a child of her own. And it just, at that time in my life, I was blown away. And that planted the seed as life went on that I need to learn more and they need to do more for these folks who are out here doing this and for these kids who are placed. Three kids later and 10 years later, we decided to start up Connect with a Wish. Well, you say we, you and who else? Well, my family discussion in the house, okay, mom is going to now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> listen to a good name. You know, I had been involved with the holiday project over some years, which was just giving back at Christmas to families in foster care. And after doing that for several years, same people kept coming back to me saying, well, what else do you do? How else can we help? You know, I knew I had support to start this, and I had some friends that had really caught on to my passion at doing this every year. And I thought, you know, we could probably grant wishes for these kids all year round, things that they really need, you know, or things that they really want. So over Christmas break, my husband and I sat around, we talked about it, and I said, you know, this is this is the time I think we can I can do this. And everybody agreed that it was the time, and we came up with the name. And I talked to some friends and said, you know, I'm going to start this nonprofit. I need. I need some officers. It's not going to be a big deal, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And I reeled them in and aboard. And 10 years later, what started out with granting wishes has evolved into a very large animal that I am chasing most of the time as we grow. But I am blessed to have the people around me and the community support and people that share my passion now to really keep this thing going and growing to meet the needs that are out there. Well, that's great. Now, let me follow up about the holiday project because some people might not understand what that is. And since that was kind of the the beginning point mm -hmm. of this journey. Could you explain what the Holiday Project is and what it does? Sure. So in our city, the Holiday Project is something that's run by the city where they take all the youth in foster care and they ask them what their wishes are. And then the person who runs this project goes out and fills those needs with community resources, You know, goes out and finds sponsors for these kids. So we started doing that in lieu of my oldest two's birthdays because their birthdays are within the month of Christmas. And, you know, back in the day, you had to invite everybody in the classroom for the birthday party. And the last thing mm -hmm. we did was 50 gifts before Christmas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I talked to the kids about it and that's where it started. And then it evolved to add on to their entire classroom, their classroom, and then the school and which at the time they were going to St. John, the apostle Catholic school, talking with the school, they thought, well, let's add the religious education classes. So up until this point, I still do the holiday project as part of Connect With a Wish. We grant wishes for 177 kids this year in foster care, and each of those kids get four to six gifts that they wished for. That's where the project started, and you know, it was granting wishes at Christmas time, and I thought, this is great, but there's obviously needs year round. And then I had my foot in the door with social services because I was coming back as a sponsor every year and the largest sponsor they had. And I talked, you know, what are the other needs of these kids? And one of the first things that came up through some of the workers and supervisors was birthday brigade, beds, you know, things that are needed at the time of removal. So I was like, okay. And then I go back to our group and we came up with some resolutions and that's what we're working with today. Wow. So your organization, Connect With a Wish, is it really local and you work primarily with local young people? Or is it something that's online that others can access beyond your specific geography? So we started out exclusive with Virginia Beach. That's where we started. And we have been fortunate enough to expand our services to the Hampton Roads area, which includes the cities of Norfolk, Chesapeake, Portsmouth, Suffolk, and Newport News. So we're not an online national or a statewide thing, but we are local as far as this whole surrounding areas, which covers probably over 700 kids. We have about 15 different programs and events that we have year round. Okay. So let's start diving into that. Yep. How would you explain your primary purpose? So our primary purpose, original purpose was to connect the needs of those in foster care with the generosity of our community. I really wanted to raise the awareness because everybody knows foster care is out there, but as you probably know, and anyone in the field, most people walking every day in life really don't understand what it means to be in foster care, what they get, what they don't get. You know, everyone thinks they're being taken care of and don't really understand what they've been through, what's put them there. So I thought by doing this, we'd be able to raise the awareness and be able to help kids here right in our own community by our community. Fortunately, that's exactly what we've been able to do with a lot of our programs. And we serve kids from newborn to 25 years old. In that, we have programs that are everywhere, different age groups, youth groups, all kinds of things. And through the years, probably within the first five years, you know, we really saw the 
greater need for the aging out population. Our first step towards the aging out population, other than, you know, holiday project, birthday brigade, and your everyday needs that everyone received was the youth group, the start of our youth group programs, which are ages 14 and up and the boys and girls meet separately. We started that with a summer workshop for the girls called Manners and Glamour, you know, just trying to learn some etiquette and just doing some girly things over the summertime. And we watched the evolution of the bonding of these girls because there really is no other time that they get to meet with other kids in their same position without social workers around or outside of their home, you know, to really share. And at the end of that workshop, we saw the tears and, well, what else can we do, Miss Joy? And I was like, okay. And that night, myself and my vice president were like, okay, we, this has got to go on. We have, we have to go on. And then we started the girls youth group, which meets monthly. You know, we've watched some amazing relationships, not within the kids, but also with the adults who show up every month. I could have 15 girls. And if I had 15 adults, it would not be overwhelming because each of them really looks for that connection of an adult to just bounce ideas off of, talk to, just have conversation with. You know, it's really been a unique experience to see the difference in this population versus working maybe with a youth group for another reason, where sometimes too many adults, that's not the case here. These kids really look forward to coming and seeing those same faces, which has been another part of Connect with a Wish after 10 years of being here, that, you know, we have a lot of the same faces that keep showing up for these kids. And these are volunteers from the community? Yes. Okay. So youth groups was our first step towards helping that they aged out. And then we have supporting success program, which was also one of our early programs that helps the kids that are aging out. So if they're moving out, whether it be to an independent living program or to college or out with a roommate, whatever the case might be, we help them with their, their belongings, their first things, a love seat, a TV, dresser, beds. And then in our office, we have four storage units, plus we have an office. And in our office, we have all the kitchen items and bedding and things like that, that the kids can come in and get their pots and pans, you know, everything they need for their first place without having to dip into their allowance that's being given or none at all, whatever the case is. That's been a great program. And it's actually wound up expanding to really help kids provide a permanent or support a permanent placement. So since that was my original thought for supporting success, and those items have also evolved to a placement referral request. So if we have grandma or great uncle or coach who has taken in three additional kids and doesn't have bunk beds or the additional dishes or the bedding, instead of them getting the pro into their own pockets, we will provide whatever it takes to help that placement become permanent. Same if it's birth mom who maybe is getting back on her own or in her first apartment and the plan is, you know, reunification, we'll help support that. Even if it's foster parents and, you know, maybe foster mom has never taken newborns in before and all of a sudden she needs, you know, a crib, a high chair, blah, blah, blah they can make that request and we'll supply that as well. We do whatever it takes to secure a placement as far as supplies and we keep that. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, I'm sure there are other organizations that do that specific thing that you're talking about, mm -hmm. but I think it's the first time that I've talked with anybody about it in the podcast series. Oh. So I think that's a wonderful idea as far as, yeah, a lot of organizations help the young people and give them the things that they need, but the adults who could take these young people in, if they just had this extra support and some extra items and preparation, yeah. then they might also be able to. 
it definitely helps because as you probably know, maybe not everybody else knows, if you're not going through foster care, there's not a whole lot of financial support for you. So if grandma is deciding to take in three of her grandchildren and she's got one bedroom and she needs bunk beds and a twin bed separately to be able to place these children, you know, there's no funding for that. Right. But that has to happen for her to be able to take the kids. There has to be a place for them to sleep. I didn't know that's what we were doing when we started, <laughs> but, but it's evolved. It's been a great need because we found early on, we would receive a wish from a social worker for a kid that wanted a bed. And our wish program, which was our you know staple start off program, was not about needs. We wanted to supply things the kids would want outside of what their actual needs are and what could be provided for them, like dance lessons, say, you know, anything your own child would ask for, oh, mom, I want to start soccer, you know? I need soccer cleats. I need this. And I want to sign up. You know, there's no funding for that, for the foster parent. There's no additional funding. So those were the type of things we were promoting in our wish program. But, you know, if a kid wanted the Nike Air Jordans and that's what he wanted, then that's what he got. But we didn't want to hear kids asking for a bet because that should not be a wish. That's a necessity. And that kind of branched off to that placement referral program. We didn't want kids, we'll, we'll get you the bed, but that's not going to be your wish, <laughs> you know? So that's where that came from. And you mentioned funding. Uh-huh. How are you funded? Is it primarily donations? So primarily donations. We do receive grants. Previous to this year, most of our grants were smaller grants and a lot of community grants because we didn't have this big, huge number of measurable outcome. We know how much we're doing. We know what we're doing. We and everybody that sees what we're doing knows it's improving the lives of youth in foster care on a daily basis. However, you know, to actually prove that is another story for a lot of bigger grants. We do count on our community and smaller grants, and we've been fortunate. You know, a lot of the items, we don't have to buy things anymore. Most of those things come in because of our outreach of resources and the connections we've made over the 10 years. But it still costs money to do, you know, to pay people and and whatnot. So um, we do work off of grants as well. And this year, our big move is, it's not just this year, in the past couple of years, we've decided with the aging out population, a few years back, we started a new program called Connect to Careers, which is truly for the aging out population of 17 to 24. With that program, we do have some measurable outcome and we do have more things that we can put out there for grants. So that program is now newly funded. We have a program manager that runs it and we have a five goal setting for these kids to be able to accomplish. And it's really, you know, independent living skills that the kids are getting while they're in care under independent living or fostering futures. However, we all know with the youth that we're working with and the young adults, the size of their trauma and the effects of their trauma, they're not prepared to be independent living at 21 or learn those skills often. So we are kind of doing it on the back end as a nonprofit where we don't cut off at 21. We can do this in our own way. And that's what our Connect to Careers program is all about. And our goals, we have the five goals, which are transportation plan, basically a driver's license, because we have witnessed a ton of kids coming out of foster care that still don't have a driver's license. And that's a huge barrier to successful independent living. So we have transportation plan, we have interviewing and job skills, resume writing and interviewing, I'm sorry. We work with other community people in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood, listen to me. I'm sorry, in the community that, uh, (laughs) you know, can come to us and then they can teach our kids, you know, 
interviewing skills and we work with them on the resume writing. So that's the second goal. Third goal is financial planning so that they are learning what it takes to budget, credit, you know, all those things once again. And then a housing plan. And here we go. What's the fifth goal, Joy? So education? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Secondary education and job training. So if they choose to go to college, we support that or we find out, okay, so that's not what you're going to do. Community college may or may not be your point. Okay. You want to go into hospitality. Well, how can we support that? And how can we get you further training? So thank you. That is the fifth goal. Yes. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. But uh, <laughs> I was looking, I was like, okay, where's the gap? Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. We got no gaps. We've got them covered. No, that's fantastic. It is. And those five goals are supported by monthly meetings that we call Mission Possible. Like I said, we have our youth group meetings, which are more fun from 14 and up, but these are the meat and potatoes. This is 17 and up. And you come in and we have two local employers that open up our meeting, one of which the kids can get a job at tomorrow, like maybe it's Target, you know, and they're going to come in and they're going to talk about their position, their company, what onboarding looks like, what do they look for in an employee. And then we have another employer that may have something like a mortgage broker where our kids have no idea what that means or what it takes to be one. That person, you know, will then talk about that position and the exposure to these things we find has been great. You know, the kids are asking all kinds of questions and they're taking on jobs. We have since grown some real relationships with local employers where we have, you know, a go-to plan for a kid that wants to work there, where we will wrap around support with a person from their side and a person from our side being our program manager meeting while a youth is onboarding and really supporting them in the things that they don't have when they go home. Our kids can go to work. Somebody looks at them funny or says something or a comment. They come back. They don't know what to do with that. They say it maybe to their roommate and they end up like, oh, I'm just going to leave. It's, they don't like me there. I'm not going to work there anymore. You know, there's, yeah. there's nowhere to hash out what it's like in a job plate, you know, in the workforce to to what toleration is, what flexibility is, and, you know, just the everyday thing that, you know, go ahead and push forward. You can do this. So we wrap around supports with that and we've seen real success in how long our kids are staying in the workplace at one job and actually, you know, moving up on the ladder. So those things have been great. We've got the Mission Possible meeting. So they open up with the employers. Then there's an independent living skill that we work on during the meeting. Maybe it is interview skills, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe it's someone coming in and telling us how to cook on a budget, you know, so it's all things that truly have to do with them living on their own. And then of course we feed them. So there's, <laughs> there's <a, laughs> got to have the food oh, at the meetings. <laughs> oh, everything connected with a wish does. They always know they're going to eat well, but we have a financial incentive at the end of the program. And it also comes with a certificate of completion and a letter of recommendation for them to take on to their next year. I like that. Now, let me ask this real quick before we get too far along. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned fostering futures mm -hmm. and some people might not know yes. what that is. So could you explain what fostering futures is? So fostering futures is the program for youth or young adults in care from 18 to 21 who choose not to age out at 18 and stay within the system receiving supports. And as while they're receiving supports, they have to follow A, B, and C. They have to either be in a job, they have to be in an education right. program to be able to receive the supports that are still coming their way. So it's the state's extended foster care program? Yes. In essence. Okay. Okay, great. So I want to come back around to driving. Yep. Because that is something that 
to me, <laughs> in today's day and age, unless you live in a city, right? I mm-hmm. get that. Some cities have really good public transportation. But if you live anywhere else, driving is really a requirement. Yeah. I mean, you can't pay for Ubers. And they try. <laughs> every day. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just not financially feasible, at least from my perspective, it isn't. Uh-uh. Do you provide lessons to help young people drive? We will. What is it that you do for them? So we will do wherever, you know, we'll pick it up wherever they're at. If they have a permit or they don't have a permit, you know, a lot of the problem is while the youth are in care and they're in high school, they're moving around and they're switching schools or, and they may have missed that permit class or the drive, you know, whatever it's called, student driving or, you know, however it is in whatever school you're at, or they've dropped out of school. As we all know, 50% of the kids only graduate high school. They're all in a different position by the time, you know, we're meeting one-on-one with them. And it could be they have a permit. It could be they have nothing. It could be they just need behind the wheel. Whatever the case is and where we meet them where they're at and then we take them to the next step. They have a driver's license. They just don't have a car. So if that's the case, then we try to work on that with them as far as budgeting. And we will also help in purchasing a first car. We work with the social workers as well and kind of matching what they save. You know, we'll go up to $1,000 so that they're not buying a complete lemon and try to assist with things like that. But as you speak of Ubers, like that's the number one request that we've got out right now because the kids are just going broke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, of course. And kids usually want to go a lot of places. It's not fantastic. You know, it all depends on where you're at. (laughs) Barrier for our youth, and I'm sure, you know, all across the state and country, that transportation is a problem. It is. Yeah, I can relate to what you were saying. I had, I went to four different schools when I was in foster care. And I did not, I went to college and I went to a small college. So I didn't really need, all I needed was to walk. So I didn't need a car at that time. And then my foster parents would pick me up for breaks. So I didn't learn how to drive until after college myself. Okay. And I got a 75 Plymouth Valiant (laughs) from my grandmother for a dollar. That was my first car. (laughs) Not a bad deal for a dollar. (laughs) Not for a dollar. (laughs) So she had stopped driving. So it seemed like it was good timing. And thankfully, I was, you know, still in touch with her. So that did work out. Yeah. But I can relate to that particular problem. and yeah. But really, you, you need to get that. Maybe we can talk later about what the foster care system might be able to do mm-hmm. better to help these young people. Mm-hmm. But not a lot of foster parents, I don't want to say not a lot, but there certainly are foster parents helping young people learn how to drive. Yeah. But I think there are a lot that don't. Yes. And I think some of that comes from, you know, you're putting out fires and that may not be the first one on the list, you know, and then all of a sudden... Here you are close to 21 and we didn't get there yet. <laughs> you yep, know, yep. whether it's the independent living program that they're living in or it's a foster parent, which here it's here in Virginia Beach, our fostering futures kids are not with foster parents. And the chances that that group home. Yeah. Well, independent living programs is what we do a lot here where the yeah. kids are in apartments with other youth in foster care starting around 17 and they're being supervised by staff. And, you know, the program can be as great as it wants to be, but at the end of the day, you're still talking about a kid in high school who is going to bed with a, you know, in an apartment with another youth and expected to wake up for high school, do their homework, feed themselves, cook their own meals. It's a lot. It's a lot to ask of a young adult. And, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, a driver's license may not be the top priority, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. 
And how do you get young people connected with you? Let's say they have a need Mm -hmm. around driving or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. How do they find out about you and get word to you about that? So we work closely with all the cities around in the social work, you know, in the human services, foster care department and CPS. So we communicate like crazy. (laughs) We're putting out flyers, we're emailing, we're texting. Once we capture a youth, we do everything we can to try to stay with them, you know, to keep them involved. We will have larger events a couple times a year to try to really span out and reach out to those who may not be connected. But for the most part, most of them come as an evolution of, you know, being in care with the social worker because the social workers, they are all in support of especially our teenage programs, like the youth groups and this connected careers. So they're encouraging their kids to come to the program. And some of them require them to come as part of their program. We've really, and connected careers, I think we're in coming up on year three now. And I'm so pleased to not only see the collaboration that we have with the cities, but also to see the kids when they come to these meetings, they're recognizing that they need to be there. You know, these mission possible and these programs, like they feel they get it, you know, they get it that my time is coming and they're scared actually, you know, and they know that they need, they still have needs, or maybe they didn't check those boxes while they were in care or they're out, you know, like they're out of care, 22, 23 years old, and they're struggling and they're coming back to us. You know, and this is what's taken us to the next step of our Take Two community, which is what we've been working on for a year and a half, which is actually a housing project for those who are aging out of foster care. Okay. Yep. How far along are you with that? What are your goals? Yeah, we're close. You know, we started out because we've spent an enormous amount of money, especially since COVID, on emergency housing. Kids coming in, they've aged out, and they're just failing you know, and they can't afford to live. So, you know, it was knocking on my door in the back of my head for a while. And I selfishly was trying to push it away for a little while (laughs) because I'm like, this is big. It's It's big. big. It's big. (laughs) This is big. And I got to be ready for this. I'm a firm believer in God and he gave me enough messages. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I hear you. I got it. Let's do it. So We came together and came up with our plan, you know, met with our board and volunteers and our officers and got a group together. And we call it Take Two Community because I feel like, like I mentioned with our Connect Careers program, I feel like independent living has all these things, but then we're giving it to them a second time around in a little bit different of a way from different people, you know, in a probably a less intimidating area because we are not actually the social worker. You know, it it just comes at them a little bit differently. And we've been in these kids' lives, most of the kids' lives, for many years. And there's a trust factor that they have with us. So we figure take two would be their second time around. You know, this is their second chance at doing this. And our housing program is a bridge program where it would be a two, two and a half year program with our wraparound services with Connected Careers so that they will continue to get those skills while they are being housed. And, you know, following doing the things that they need and learning what they need to know about how to then move out from take two, have enough financial stability and job stability that they can then do it on their own. Because at 21, they're just not ready. I mean, there's a few, you know, there's a few self-starters out there and kids that are, you know, that go beyond the numbers. But for the most part, you know, our own kids that we raise in our own homes, you know, at 21 are not ready to cut the cord completely. 
Right. And these kids don't even have a cord to cut. You know, they've never been connected. So take two, we, our big deal is that we're looking for a location and we are very close to a church committing to us and leasing their one acre for us to build our 18 apartments, two bedroom apartments. Cause we, you know, we do have a lot of young adults with kids already. So we're going to put two bedrooms in there and the rest will be one bedroom apartments and it will be on a church property. And we are, I'm hoping by the new year to have the confirmation that we need from them. I just met with their leadership group last week and it's looking very positive. We've had a year of a relationship with them and we are hoping that this is it. We've met with the city on and the city housing and we're doing the work currently with the FYI vouchers for those who are, aren't familiar with the fostering future or not fostering futures, the fostering initiative, young adult vouchers. Am I right? Linda saying that, do you know the actual words for all that? Oh my goodness. You're catching me off. Guard yeah, I don't here. have it in front of me. There's a lot of words to it, but basically it's a housing voucher. It's an arm off of section eight exclusively for young adults aging out of foster care housing voucher. So we are working. Fostering youth to independence. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you, Google. Yep. Thank you. So the <laughs> FYI vouchers are something that we're currently working with now with the housing department and social services as the kids are aging out, we are case managing those young adults and walking them through this voucher process, which is has many, many, many hurdles. How they expected a young adult to ever do that anywhere on their own was not going to happen. They need an intermediary. They need somebody like you 100%. who can help them. And it's required that they have case management. So the creation of it was not 100% all the way thought about because, you know, kids age out at 21. So then they don't have a case manager. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Good, good thought. <laughs> Should have had that. Yeah. So <laughs> I went ahead and hired a position almost a year ago now because we were seeing the kids weren't making it happen. And, you know, the social workers, not only do they have these kids that are aging out, but they have a full caseload of kids under 21. It truly takes a village to make these vouchers happen, you know, from the process to get it, all the hoops to jump through, and then to go find a place that's affordable and a landlord that will actually speak the truth to these kids. You know, we've had to really learn a lot in the past year on how this works and how to make it happen. But we currently just housed a youth yesterday that we've been working with for probably six months on trying to make this happen. And we have three more that will hopefully be housed by the new year. So our numbers, like I said about when we talked about measurable outcome, you know, these programs are giving me the measurable outcome we need, you know, to be able to support these programs and to keep them ongoing. Because the case manager that I hired, I hired because I know I needed it <laughs> and the kids needed yeah. it. And then I needed to yeah. figure out how to pay her, <laughs> you know. So that's all coming to fruition now. And the work that we're doing now on a daily basis is then going to turn over into our Take-Two community. And these vouchers will then, we'll take out that big problem of finding a place once we actually get the voucher, because we will have the place for them, the safe people for them right. with the wraparound support. That's so important for so many of these young people to have that bridge. Yes. Yes. It really is. And I'm glad to hear that you're adding that to your repertoire yeah. of programs. I did have a question for you about the apartments that you're planning. Mm -hmm. I don't know how far along you are in the mm -hmm. planning process, but are you thinking a large building and all the apartments would be in that building? Are you thinking tiny homes? What structures yes. will they have? 
So our first thought was a Quonset structure, which is done in different places throughout the United States for populations, but our city was not really excited about that. So, and our city's not really excited about tiny homes either, <laughs> but I love them. <laughs> yeah. So we are a, what do they call it? Stick and mortar, I think is the word. And we have a plan for an apartment building with the 18 apartments. So it'll be one structure. Everybody on that structure, we, it requires about an acre of land and we will have an office on site, not anybody that's going to be there 24 hours because these are young adults. You know, we are more or less a landlord with the support services, not a group home, yeah. you know? Right, right. So we're really excited about the future and where this is going. It is a huge, huge need. And there's a real push in our city right now to resolve the affordable housing crisis that we are having. They are seeing that, you know, our population is just failing and there is nowhere for them. And our kids don't want to leave the city that they're in because that's where maybe they may not have family, but what they have is here. Yeah. And to move to a place where maybe more affordable, they feel lost. So we need to keep our kids where they're comfortable and give them the opportunity to be able to make it. And at 21, they're just not ready. Yeah, I agree. Now, would you have them pay any rent? We would run it probably similar to as long as these vouchers can stay in place through the federal mm -hmm. government, which right now they can have them till just before their 25th birthday. So mm -hmm. with the voucher, it does provide them to have to pay an amount of rent. And then so the voucher money comes in. So most likely with the vouchers, the money that they will be paying rent is probably money that we are going to bank for them aside of their own banking. <laughs> you know? That was my next yeah. question. Yeah. Um, we're gonna, they're going to have to be on a budget because there's going to be an agreement for them to be with us, which even right now, what we work with them for us to case manage them with the voucher, they have to agree to be case managed. So they have to agree to participate in our program. They have to agree to attend a bank on seminar. You know, they have to agree to the things that we know are best for them. And not best for them, they're just necessities, really. So that's what we plan to do. I love that plan. Yeah, me too. I want to back up a little bit. Sure. You were talking about your case manager uh -huh. and you've mentioned volunteers. And I'm curious how many staff you have, how many volunteers you have. We have different tiers of volunteers, I would say. You know, like we have our email list that goes out to probably 3,000 people. My detail is not great, Lynn, I'll tell you. I've got the big picture. So when we're talking about numbers, don't hold me to anything. But well, that's okay. <laughs> You're the executive director. You're focused on strategy. I God. am. I am. So we have, <laughs> you know, a lot of people out there. And I call them still my volunteers because they're on social media and they're sharing my stuff. And they're getting the word out. And then we have you know, volunteers who come in and work in the office and are taking in my donations and charting things and putting away things and doing all that work. And then we have our volunteers who work with the kids who are coming into the youth groups or coming into the events and doing that. And, you know, then we have our supports who are providing money and donations. So we have many tiers of volunteers in our office. I am an unpaid worker as well as our vice president, and we both work full-time I then have a office manager. I have a program manager for our take to our, uh, I'm sorry, connect to careers. I have an additional part-time employee who works with our mom squad, which is our support group for young adults and those in care who have kids. And then I have my case manager. And then I have three interns, unpaid interns year round. So our okay. office is filled right now. And 
<laughs> we, you know, we have we have taken up as much space as we possibly can. <laughs> yeah, time to expand, huh? I know, but it's free, so it's hard to do that. <laughs> yeah. How is it free? Actually, my husband, he's an Allstate agent, and he has the office next door, and he pays our rent. Oh, okay. So we are most grateful for that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think there are people out there who would be willing to do that, who wouldn't even necessarily have to be family. It could be their way to donate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And I'm speaking to other yes, nonprofit absolutely. leaders, absolutely. right? So yeah, absolutely. You know, talk to family members about how they might be able to support, but there are others in the community who, if they find out about what you do, might be able to say, yeah, we'll pay part of your rent or we'll pay your rent for you. You're exactly right. And like we're right now, we are asking members of the community to find or to help us pay for a storage unit for our prom dresses. We have a big prom event. I've got probably four to 500 dresses in my office in a particular space that we want to utilize for other things than just once a year, you know? We're making this big move that my people around me have, you know, finally pushed me to do because they've been wanting to do this for a while and I didn't want to do it because it sometimes changed. You know how that goes. So anyway, I agree. It's time. We got to get these dresses out and we got to utilize this space for a lot of our kids that come in in crisis. These young adults that were case managing, you know, they come in, they want private time and we don't have a private place. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we want to create that and then also expand our clothes closet that we have in the office. So that's going to take up that space. But right now we're working with the community, like who knows of a storage unit or could afford to pay this amount of money monthly to be able to support us in our prom event year round, you know, to be able to supply these dresses. And I think we actually have someone coming forward. So it's true, you know, but all of that is awareness and people just don't recognize the needs that are out there to be able to support this population. And that by supporting this population, you are improving your community. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's what you're doing. (laughs) Absolutely. And there are ways to get the word out but it requires time, time and energy to go and speak to time groups, and energy. right? Whether it's churches or community groups or lodges or whatever the case Anybody may be. Think about listen. where people gather. Yep. Anybody that? who will listen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And tell them about the need. And, you know, you might get more volunteers out of it as well, not just donations. Yeah, there's no might about it. That is the way we've grown, you know, from going to churches and anybody who would have us go speak. And to this day, I don't turn it down. You know, we find a way for either myself or Colleen, my vice president, or somebody to show up and talk about our mission and how the community can help us help them. And once we do that, there's always somebody that comes forward, whether it be as a donor, as a volunteer, as somebody who will spread the word or talk about it to somebody else. That is the way for a nonprofit to grow. You have to take advantage of those things, no matter how small they may seem, you know, and you have to make a choice over one thing or another. Never underestimate the power of people. <laughs> but the people have to first know about it and then yeah. and then be motivated to take action, right? Yes. So it has to be specific. You know, don't just give us money because we're awesome. All right. Right. What we do is nope. awesome. You have to let them know what their money is going to be covering. Yeah. Yep. And then that's where the, I think the, the emotional connections can be made. Yes. And with Connect with a Wish, we find that's best done right in our office. Like we'll go out and talk to everybody. And then I welcome people to come over because once you come in our place and you see the energy and you see the passion and you see how much we're covering, then most people leave there committed. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's yeah. it. They're like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. We actually did an open house video because I thought, you know, not everybody can come here though. You know what I mean? Not everybody's got the time or, or whatever. So we've used that at our gala last year. And I found after the gala, I had so many people tell me how profound that small video was to just see exactly what we're doing every day. And it just makes a big difference for people to see where their money, where their things are going and what's happening to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think the fundraising and volunteer acquisition could be a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Easily. But I did want to spend a few minutes talking about what the foster care system, Uh it's big, lots of different layers, what could be done to better prepare these young people Mm -hmm. for adulthood, Uh young people in foster care, whether they've lived in the system their whole life, whether they are, you know, just came into the system at 17, Uh what could possibly be done? We talked about driving, right? Maybe that's a good place to start is to come back to that. What could the system do better to help young people ensure that they know how to drive because foster parents, group homes, they're not accountable right. to these independent living skills. They're accountable to a roof over their head, right. food in their belly, you know, safety, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but they're not held accountable to independent living uh-huh. skills. So what do you think could be done? This is conversation that we are hot on right now. <laughs> we just met with another organization that stand up for kids that I work closely with that helps homeless youth, as well as our Fostering Futures workers here in Virginia Beach and around the other cities that we've been talking about. How can we have these a better numbers for these kids aging out of 21 and being more successful? And one of the things that we're talking about, and we work closely with a local delegate here, Ann Farrell Tata, who is a true champion for foster care. And you know, we're working on the legislation with her now currently to expand our tuition bill for kids with going to college, which we've had. That's a whole nother conversation that we've been working on for years. But the other thing is, you know, how can we improve the Fostering Futures years, you know, from 17 to 21? How can they have better outcomes? One of the things that we are hearing that the buzz is federally is actually raising the age. And I can only pray and hope that that can happen. But in the meantime, one of the things that we think would be helpful Two things that we think would be helpful. One is that when we have a kid coming close, coming up on 21, that we have a criteria set. And if this kid meets a certain criteria, which is, I'm talking about exceptional circumstances that we can see black and white, 21 is going to come and this kid's going to fail. Okay. What those reasons are could be, you know, a variety of things and probably because they don't have a driver's license. They've dropped out of school, never even got their GED. You know what I mean? They've got all these things against them. 21's around the corner and they're not going to make it. So can we get an extension for that particular youth? If we're not going to extend, you know, because we all know that extending from 21 above is going to take some time (laughs) and probably not going to happen anytime soon. But what about this specific youth within the system who we see it's very clear they're not going to make it at 21. And we've met these higher risk criteria, let's say. Can we get an extension for them? You know, can we get extension services, extension of funding, six months to a year so that they can get just more attention and further the services and give them a better outcome and hope maturity kicks in a little bit more as well, you know, during that time so that they have a better outcome. That's one of the things. And the other thing that we think and it may be something that we're able to incorporate with take two is talk of, and I know it's done in Philadelphia and some other places where they have like an independent living hub almost 
where the kids can go, where they have a kitchen, there's services, there's resources there, that the community comes together and provides kind of like what we do with our Connect Careers program, but all in one place and an actual place where the kids can go. There's computers there, there's resources there, there's contact to counselors, you know, a place for that for not just up until 21, but more like up until 25 so that the kids can come back and revisit people that can help them. I like that idea. The challenge there is, can they get to it? Mm -hmm. Right. The location would have to be Yep. Very carefully chosen. And there'd have to be some kind of public transportation, I think, to get young people to that location. Yes. And that can happen, you know, if it's on a bus line, at least in our city, you know, bus passes are something that the kids can get. You know, when I think about take two, I think, well, then there we've got those kids who are living there. If we were able to put this in our, add this to our structure, then we'd have, you know, that's part of the battle. We've got some kids living there, so they're already there. And then the other thing is actually the space. Like if we find a space, who's going to pay for that? And can, you know, is there collaboration within the cities and possibly the state funding? Because they know there's a problem. (laughs) You know, they're meeting to try to figure out how can we improve fostering futures? What can we add? How do we make this better? And, you know, that is, you know, resources are an issue. You know, in Virginia Beach here, we have a really good collaboration with the city and with people who can provide for our kids, but it's not in every city and it's not in every locality in the state. There are a lot of places that are very dry with how to make that connection and resources. And a place like this would be able to give the kids a good spot. You know, I'm not a huge fan of central planning mm-hmm. in some, in, you know, say most cases, mm-hmm. but I could envision a place in your community that has a food pantry, yes, a shelter, a hub like this Uh so that, you know, whatever, and I'm sure I'm missing some key supports there. Uh You know, if it had all of that in either in one building or next to each other in a, you know, one of those strip malls that are being emptied out because everybody's buying things online now, that seems like a great opportunity to put all of these services together in a one-stop support system. Yep. That's the buzz here locally that we're talking about, and we're trying to raise awareness and bring parties together who can help make this these type of things happen. But I think 21 is going to be a forever problem for us because the bottom line is most kids are not ready for 21 who have not lived through trauma. And then you add that, and we're our kids, it's just, it's against them. Yeah. 21 is too young. They're just not ready. There's not enough time. And back to your extensions Uh idea, Uh I mean, I think that's fantastic. But if it's just, yeah, you can stay in the system for another six months to a year, that's not going to do it. Right. Like you said, you need to have some some heavier support systems in place to try to make it happen, to Uh make that happen, Uh to, you know, fill the gaps that are in that young person's life to help them move on. Right. And that would have to be part of it. You know, not only do you meet the criteria to get the extension, well, to get the extension, you have to agree to participate in whatever it is. If the substance abuse is the problem, you know, what is the biggest problems here, the barricades that this kid is up against, and you have to agree, you know, we'll do this for you, but you have to agree to participate and to work with us on, you know, resolving these issues. So, well, that's one of the difficulties is self-motivation. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so I think that's tied to resiliency. Uh-huh. 
and you have young people who have it. And no matter what their circumstances, by gosh, they're going to go out and they're going to get their education. They're going to get a job and they, you know, put their heads down and make it happen. And then you have others for various reasons Mm -hmm. who are not self-motivated. And so I think one of the things that would need to be addressed is how do you build Mm -hmm. in a short amount of time self-motivation with young people who have had so many adverse childhood experiences and so much trauma. And maybe they just came into the foster care system. The trauma was recent. Yeah. And a lot of that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that is one of the key things to consider is rather than necessarily just giving them things and teaching them things in a classroom, Yeah, help them understand and connect with what makes them energized about being ready for adulthood. What also goes hand in hand with that is, you know, once our young adults are 18, you know, they choose maybe not to seek support and therapy anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't make them. So, you know, for them to understand, you know, and maybe at this point at 21, well, to stay here, you have to be in group or, you know what I mean? Whatever. And you have to buckle down. You have to buckle down. And maybe it's not a self-motivator, you know, it's not done by self-motivation, but maybe it can open the window to self-motivation. Yeah. Desperation could, yeah. could get them in the door. Get them in the door. <laughs> and, you know, say that at 20, say 21, 22, maybe they haven't been to see or to talk about their experiences in three or four years. Who knows? You know, and then it looks differently at that age, even though they're poisoned in their mind. I, you know, I've been bounced around by this therapy, that therapist, I don't want to go back, you know, but you haven't been back for a couple of years. That's the reality of it is, <laughs> you know, yeah. So let's yeah. look at this from a different light now, you know? Mm-hmm. and hope mm-hmm. that maybe there's something there. Yeah. I understand that perspective of I've been in foster care. My life has been people telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm 18 slash 21. I want out. Yep. You know, I want freedom. I'm an adult now. And unfortunately, so many young people feel that way and they go out and try it and they realize, oh, this is harder than I thought. Yeah. And then they come back. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think, unfortunately, so many of them need that experience of not doing so well uh-huh. in uh-huh. life to understand the importance of all of this preparation. Yeah. Agreed. Sadly. So how do we help them get there without having to go through those challenges? And- yeah. Because, you know, my a lot of my fear is that's, you know, which has brought me back to my emergency housing because once I know there's a youth out there, I also know, you know, and what you're saying is true. Sometimes they need to see how hard it is, but at the same time, their vulnerability level is so high when on the streets or when failing that, you know, we've seen firsthand, you know, the effects of trafficking and relations and, you know, then you're walking down a whole different avenue of trouble. So it's hard to watch. You know, it's, yeah. I'll almost do anything before I see them out on the streets, you know? Yeah. And that also you're alluding to, they're introducing them to, in the shelters, on the streets, introducing them to new drugs. Yep. Drugs that could completely tailspin their lives. Yep. 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 Well, I tell you what, I love everything that you're doing to try to support these young people and prevent that. Thank you. And I love the holistic approach that you've gotten to over the years. You can't do it all at once. Nope. 
for those who are thinking of starting a nonprofit, don't don't think you can do everything at once. Start small, mm-hmm. get good at it, and then you can incrementally expand, which it sounds like that's what you've done. Yes. And the support is out there. And that's the thing when people do talk to me about that, or can you do it here? Or can you do it there? No, but you can. It is doable. You know, when you do small things like a birthday brigade and you have items that you need that can be purchased at a dollar store, but, you know, recognizing a kid on their birthday, that's changing someone's life. That's giving them hope. And it's minimal cost and a Girl Scout troop or a volleyball team or a youth group at a church love to buy birthday cake and icing mix. Do you know what I mean? And a birthday card. There's small things that can be done very, very, you know, low on the cost. And you're knocking down a couple of birds with one stone. You know, you're getting community involvement, raising awareness and changing the life of a child. Absolutely. And that hope aspect is also so critical Mm -hmm. because research shows that people will work harder if they have hope of a good outcome but they have to have that hope to begin with. Yeah. If they don't have hope and they feel helpless and don't feel like they have any control Mm -hmm. in their life, then that's, I think, when people check out, they stop trying. And so that's hope. What you're saying, what people are doing when they're supporting these young people is you're helping to give them hope. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. And again, could be a whole other podcast. Yep. 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 <laughs> Hope, resiliency, <laughs> how all of that ties together. Yep. I'm writing down all these topics. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll, I'll put them in the mix of the podcast. But I think, unfortunately, we have come to the end of our time. But Joy, thank you so much thank you. for joining us today and having this conversation with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. I look forward to following your organization and seeing how you grow over time. And maybe we can wrap back around someday and have a follow-up and see how this, the Take-Two community has coming along. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. And for those who have listened to the end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can find them on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and just look for the podcast in the menu. And you can also find Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, our podcast series on pretty much any podcast platform. So find us there as well. Thank you so much for listening again. Until next time.